Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to hit the follow button. Also, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, listeners. My name is Lisa, and we have a really exciting episode today. Uh, Not only do we have a really incredible guest that we are so excited to be able to pick his brain um, and just learn a little bit from him this afternoon. But we also have a brand new co-host in the room that I'm so excited about. So I will let him go ahead and introduce himself. (laughs) Thank you, Lisa. Hello, One Conversation Podcast. Uh, I'm new here. My name is Colin Krogan, and I've recently joined Live Violence Free as their new Director of Development and Outreach, uh, helping to optimize all of our marketing and fundraising efforts. I've been an avid listener of the pod ever since my start at Live Violence Free, learning as much as I can about everything that we do. And I'm thrilled to join on as a co-host with Lisa and connect us with interesting and informative personalities that are relevant to the work we do here. Um, So without further ado, would love to also introduce Rio. Um, Today's conversation with our guest is going to be a really fascinating one. A little background on our guest uh, before he introduced himself. Rio was introduced to us by way of the American Library Association and is a relationship scientist and author, helping others to recognize how their subconscious mind influences their day-to-day life while often causing fear, anxiety, and worry. For nearly two decades, he has worked with thousands of people, helping them reprogram their mindset and rebuild their belief systems to create healthy relationships. His book, The Joy of Lucid Love, offers a tool set for the reader's own transformative and paradigm-shifting adventure into a healthy human relatedness. In his book, he examines the line between healthy and unhealthy and the line between, in his words, the lanes and the highway of life. Um, So let's welcome to the show, Rio Timberlane. (laughs) You know, being on this side of that and hearing all of that stuff, it sounds like I'm really important. Uh, but I'm just, uh, I'm just uh, like everybody else, you know, I struggle with things and uh, about 20 years ago, now I guess 22 years ago, my life imploded, you know, divorce and um, work things and uh, I discovered in the, you know, like the, the aftermath of that, I discovered that I was in a... Uh, an addictive behavior, like I I had an addictive um, behavioral set that included sex, control, and anger. And, you know, that's, that's kind of a, you know, harsh revelation that, you know, your whole world falls apart and you take a good close look at yourself and you find that there's, you know, some really fundamental things that aren't working well for you. Mm -hmm. And, the the turning point for me that started me on my path uh, is that I looked at, at where I was and where I had come at, through, you know, like I at the time I was 40 years old and I'm a relatively intelligent person and I couldn't figure out what had gone wrong. Right. I really, I really could not put a finger on it and say, you know, in in my spousal relationship, what was healthy or what wasn't. And we did counseling in in our religion. We did counseling with uh, professional therapists of lots of different calibers and flavors and styles and modalities. And, you know, we were searching for a way to make it all work. And it 
didn't. It wouldn't. It, we couldn't get it to work. And that it leaves you feeling defeated. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm a software engineer. You know, that's what, what I was doing at the time. Um, I was uh, very proficient at troubleshooting and solving um very complex problems with enormous systems and it dawned on me that maybe there was something in me that was like a false uh, program in some way like a bug in in Mm. software so in software i could troubleshoot this incredibly big system down to a single line of code and find you know this it needs to be written from if this and this do this and uh, instead it actually needs to be if this or this do whatever and you change it change you know, just it's typing it's really simple you know when you finally find the bug it's really easy to fix you sure. just you just type in the the correction recompile the program you run the program no more bug and i thought there's got to be a line between healthy and unhealthy in a relationship. And if I can find that line, then I can maybe start searching for what's in me that puts me on the, on the bad side of that, on the, on the unhealthy side. Well, you know, I went to psychology, of course. Where else are you going to go to find the line between healthy and unhealthy? And mm-hmm. unfortunately, <laughs> it was, there was no clear line that I could find. Um, And so it took me a long time to find that, and it ends up being four laws. Now, we don't have time for, you know, me to get into the detail of that, but to put it in perspective for your audience, because your audience is about this circumstance of life that is painful and often very traumatic and deeply, uh, you know, affecting long-term uh, condition of uh, of a person's life, and so what I my message is that there's hope. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I've I've been there in that devastation, in that you know the the chaos and the fallout after it all falls apart, and and um, where I am now, it took me a long time to get there. Very very healthy, but um, because of what I discovered along the way, and now that's in a book, which is actually the introduction to a, a new science that is first person, which allows you to to be the scientist studying yourself in the world that you believe you live in. Mm-hmm. And often you discover that you believe the world works in a way that it doesn't actually work. And then you can clean that false belief up and then uh, there's more harmony more harmony more joy pretty simple right Mm -hmm. and uh so the science is called ozeology it's the science of human relatedness introspection and transformation and so human relatedness is about the axioms now the this is like gravity is an axiom no matter where you go in the universe, everybody knows, even the aliens know what gravity is. <laughs> right? It works the same for everybody. So an axiom is like that. And when we get to relationships, there's axioms. That there, It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what the relationship is. They all work this way. 
-hmm. For instance, there's an attractive force and a repellent force. That's all. There's only two forces, one that pulls us together and one that pushes us apart. Mm -hmm. If we understand what they are and we're on the healthy side uh, in the dynamic, then we can use the repellent force to clean up things that would be maybe toxic in a relationship. Wow. I love already so much about just understanding that this is like a a new science, first of all, that a lot of these findings are coming out of. Because um, in the work that we do, right, in educating on healthy relationships, we're, we're always trying to drive home that, you know, connectedness, it's, it's so important. As human beings, that's what we're all looking for. Um, and at the same time, like you said, it, it, it is really challenging. I think there's a lot of people that maybe were a lot like you, right? Kind of realizing like something's not working. I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and so... Just already, I mean, we haven't even really gotten into the full of it yet. And I'm so, so excited to learn more about this and to dive in even deeper because I find this all so fascinating. And I know the listeners out there um, are, are, you know, definitely going to take something out of this today as well as Colin and I. So, definitely. yeah. So, so um, where we're at uh, um, is that there's an attractive force and a repellent force. Sometimes we use that attractive force to draw toxic things into our lives. Mm, I've been there, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and when we can't see it, this is my, my mentor, Noble Pope, that you know, got me started and has taught me most of the really important things. Um, he, his statement, one of the very first things that he gave me is this axiom that you cannot fix what you cannot see. Mm. Yep. And so the first thing is to see that line between lanes on the highway of life and to catch yourself on the unhealthy side. And what puts us over there is subconscious programming that comes from the cultures that we've been uh, mm -hmm. associated with and influenced by. And random, completely, and this, this people need to really understand. We have random beliefs that have nothing to do with the real world, like that we're not good enough, mm -hmm. um, beliefs that we can't do anything. I had a client once, that uh, an addictive client, um, who would go on binges for two or three days, and alcoholic binge, and blackout, and when he would come out of that, his business would be destroyed. Right. And it, and it was because in his subconscious, he had two beliefs, we discovered, he, in his subconscious he had two beliefs. The first one was that he grew up poor, and so there was this line where he, his family and everybody in success, they, they didn't deserve to be above that line in success. And the second belief was that if somehow he ever got above that line, everybody would know he was a fraud. Hmm. Yeah, a little bit of that imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah. So when he would approach that, success in business, would, would, he was very entrepreneurial, very productive person, industrious, very responsible and self-employed. And he would get to that point and then he would have this blackout binge alcoholic binge 
and destroy everything. And that was his subconscious protecting him from getting up into the too high of success where he would be a fraud and he would violate his identity as a low-income person. Mm -hmm. Complete, yeah. complete false beliefs. And when we discovered them, now this is the most beautiful thing is that our subconscious is always looking for a, uh, a better pattern to navigate through life or, uh, you know, looking for the truth. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so when we excavate the falsehood and we can then challenge it with an axiom, the subconscious throws the falsehood away and uh, takes in the axiom and it can take seconds for that transformation to take place. Wow. And from that point on, now, he, he considered himself an alcoholic. He had a long history of this binging and destroying his life, right, sabotage of his life. And so he had this identity of, uh, because of that pattern, I'm an alcoholic. And that's why he came to me and he said, I'm an alcoholic. I do this. I screw my life up, right? Yeah. So when he left, of course, you know, he, does, he still believes he's an alcoholic. He still believes that's going to happen. And um, I just checked on him. It's been about three years, three, almost three and a half years now. And he's wildly more successful than he's ever been. And he social drinks and doesn't have any blackout. D destruction sabotage stuff anymore that's amazing and yeah really great. and so this this is the message i, I want to get out there is that we're often very self-deprecating because there's this thing that we do or something that we don't understand about mm -hmm. our identity or what we are how we are why we do things and we look at it and we say, well, that's stupid or that's not normal or that's, you know, destructive or whatever. And then we, we put on ourselves all of this negative uh, conversation. And it's just simply because we can't see what is not working correctly in our subconscious. Mm -hmm. So there's the science. It's called Oseology. And then there's the art of helping somebody become that scientist looking into their subconscious programming and cleaning it up. And that art is called anamiatry. So when I take a client as an anamiatrist, I'm not a therapist and I fire clients if they treat me like a therapist. <laughs> um, I'm there to um, help them learn how to ask the questions that open up their subconscious. Now think about that for a minute. You almost said something, Lisa. I was going to say, I feel like that could be one of the hardest parts, you know, is just getting to that space and being self-reflective. And especially if it's about something that we might see as a shortcoming. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, it, and your experience, I mean, is that one of the most challenging parts is getting them to, like you said, be that scientist and, and do that research for themselves? Well, I think that there there is um, two sides to the coin. First, it is natural to do the introspection, to look at ourselves and say, you know, who am I? How am I functioning in the world? And, mm -hmm. you know, am I, am I getting along with people or am I creating problems, right? We do that naturally. The um, callous, which is what you're really, I think, referring to, the callous is this 
years and years of trying to answer that question, and it feels paradoxical. We get into circular arguments with ourselves because the answer to the question is in our subconscious, and we don't know how to ask our subconscious. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, guilty. (laughs) I think we all are guilty of that in, in one way or another at some time in our life. Yeah. And in the book, I, I give a brief introduction and in, because now um, the title of the book is The Joy of Lucid Love. And my assignment for myself, the qualification for the book, was to answer the question of where the line is between healthy and unhealthy in every context of personal and family relations in one book where that line is, that is crystal clear, no question, and we cover everything from the individual self to the full family context of uh, like blended families or uh, multi-generational families of uh, clans and um, everything from uh, uh, heterosexual to LGBT or whatever the acronym you want to use and like there's a 27 character acronym to to try and cover all of that and um, even to plurality in human relationships. So think about this, a book, a single book, it's only like 350 pages and we're drawing a clean, clear line between healthy and unhealthy in every context of personal and family relations. Pretty pretty heavy material. So it's not like you pick it up and you read it in a weekend and you say, oh yeah, I got it all figured out. Right. It's a reference, it's a reference, and I anticipate we'll probably end up producing maybe 100, 150 books to delve into all of the various pieces and parts. That's so yeah. exciting really exciting. And I love to hear too, the inclusivity of it, um, you know, and discussing different relationships outside of the heteronormative relationships, because a a lot of that it is really important. I mean, even when I was educating, you know, just taking into consideration someone's culture and how then they approach or or view relationships because of that, because where they grew up and and what's normalized to them. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm excited for the listeners out there to know that this book exists to hopefully go out and get this book. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also just excited because we have so many questions for you, Rio. Well, let me, let me give you, let me give you one more thing, which is a a tool for hope. Sure. Okay. And this we call the hand thing because we don't have like a formal technical name for it. And when I, uh, so picture that I have uh, somebody who, Um, is in a circumstance that is really unhealthy. And I never use the term abuse because it's ambiguous. What abuse might be to one person is just normal to another. And um, so we use the, the term healthy or unhealthy to reflect on that line. And it's clearly drawn in the book in all contexts. So whatever the context is, we can say there's this line and we find ourselves on the unhealthy side of it. Okay. 
So when I sit down with somebody like that, um, I'll give you an example of a client who I actually met because of my, it was a, a business that I, I had, I had my own personal, it was a storage unit facility and I had a storage unit there. And I met this, the, this gal that was like the office manager and um, incredibly capable person who was like personable with everybody that came in. I just enjoyed sitting and waiting for my turn because I could I could see her. Anybody who walked through the door, she knew them by name. She understood what was going on in their life. She was just so engaged with people and so capable running the whole facility with four or five different employees and um you know, like I, I just marveled at her. And mm-hmm. when she found out what I did, she said, I cannot talk to my, my boyfriend. We'll call him husband because it was live in long term uh, relationships. So she said, I can I can never express myself. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up sitting down and. I would ask her what she believes about or what she thinks about something, and this is the way she would answer 100% of the time. Well, I think it's like this, and John says this, and the answer would always be whatever John's opinion was. Now, the contrast between who she was in this other space and who she was in her spousal space was the unhealthy thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So in this interspousal space, she could not have her own opinion. So the conversation, once, once I've understood what was basically going on there, it's about the dynamic. So I'm going to, for listeners that don't have video, I'm going to describe the hand thing. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> it goes like this. I start with a little finger on one, one hand and I put that out. This is what you do, and then he does this. You put the other little finger above that, and then because he did that, you do this. You put the next finger, and then he puts a finger, and you put a finger, and now your fingers are all interlaced, and your fingers are pointing at each each other, each of the two hands. Mm. Now, if we think about our wrists as the belief base the base of belief like the individual's truth That's right. right okay on both sides and this truth that that she believed about the relationship and the truth that he believes about the relationship are different things and so there's always going to be tension in the dynamic mm-hmm Life challenges us, whatever the challenge is, the wind blows, the f- and there's no flexibility there. There's always tension. Right. And so what often happens in relationships like this is that you break up and the person goes away that you're with or you go away from them, but you're still conditioned to this kind of reciprocity, this kind of dynamic and interaction. So the next person that comes along, because you're shaped that way, because you interact that way, you mm-hmm. you end up attracting something that works with that dynamic, works with uh, that um, interaction, that play. Right. So right. 
you can go through five, six relationships that that maybe they start out different, but they all end up looking like this. They all end up breaking up and and you're like men are awful or women are terrible because mm-hmm. my experience with them is always this horrible thing. Right. So the problem here isn't about the people. It's about not having the truth, actual axioms about what's healthy and what isn't. So this is what we do. I talk to the client. So we're going to um, teach you what those axioms are, the truth about what is healthy in a relationship. Now you you turn your hand horizontal and we anchor you like the wrist in these truths. And because you're anchored in that truth, the wind can blow and you can flex because it's a solid foundation. And you've, you, you know, you can flex because you don't lose your footing. You don't have to be rigid. You can be flexible, mm-hmm. right? And then in the same relationship, when John comes along, and I'm using John, it's not his actual name, but when John comes along and he tries that reciprocity, the same things that he used to do, and you're anchored in this new truth about how, what's healthy, you're not going to give him the payoff for those behaviors. Right. He has two choices. Either it's if he wants to be in the relationship with you, it'll draw him into searching for how to have reciprocity with you. And there will be gravity because of the habit. You'll kind of want to go back to those things and you catch yourself and, mm-hmm. and you stay in the, on the healthy side. And pretty soon he will follow you and he'll come in and he, he will be able to interlace with you just like before. But now... Instead of being in opposition when you were horizontal, now vertically, you're aligned with each other and that pulls him into that same base of healthy uh, axioms, the healthiness, and you're both in this standing on the same truth. Now you can both flex and there is absolutely no tension in the dynamic. Very well explained. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I like that. I like it a lot too, in the sense that you know we are so molded by our relationships, and um, that difference between you know who you are in a spousal relationship versus who you are outside of that. I totally resonate with that message. Um, I think that's that's something I'm working through myself. Um, so you know, it's it's it right. hits hits home. And and for your audience in particular, this is the key point: is that when you can move yourself from that horizontal which is is the the idea of that is that we're not anchored in absolute truth the axioms of what is healthy and when you move from that and anchor yourself in the the truth and this is why it's a science because it's a body of knowledge the mm-hmm. science of human relatedness and the those axioms you need this is what's healthy when you can anchor yourself in that and whoever your partner is, if it's your boss or if it's your in-laws, you know, or whoever, when they bump up against you and don't get the payoff, they have two choices. Either be drawn in like that and become healthy in the relationship or they naturally leave. They go someplace where they can get the reciprocity that they're looking for. And there's right. no friction. You don't have to have a restraining order. You don't have to have intervention. You just don't participate in the toxic or unhealthy thing. 
and they don't get the payoff, so they go looking for the sugar that they want. Yeah. Make sense? Absolutely. Now, this particular, this particular client, what had happened, she was together with the guy for two years, and one night she went to a girls' night out party that was exclusive, just three girls, and one of the girls invited a guy. And when she came home, she was furious about that, and she told her boyfriend, this guy shows up, and it was supposed to just be us, us girls. Her boyfriend translated it because of his history, whatever. He translated it into, she's lying, and she went and cheated on, this, on me with this guy. And there was nothing that, and this is what shifted the dynamic, was that at that point she was always trying to prove that she was faithful to him. And gradually yeah. she gave up her identity in that process. Yeah. I mean, over time, if someone questions you enough, I mean, which is pretty unhealthy behavior, right? To feel not secure, to feel like you're not trusted in a relationship, even though you're you're putting out that trust, you're, you're doing the right things. Yeah, over time, it's you're really going to start to question who you are and probably lose a part of who you are, right? And always trying to self-protect and, and to prove to that person, um, even though none of your actions are, are showing otherwise, but always trying to, to prove that you're faithful, right? Or prove that there's not something else going on. Yeah, over time, that's going to be so detrimental to that person. So in this particular setting... When she moved like that, he chose to leave. And mm. there was um, no... He, <laughs> she was afraid that he would kill her if she tried to leave when we first met. That's mm. how troubled it was. She was very... It was a very real fear. Yeah. Um, For many of our clients. And I'm feeling this... Yeah, I feel this this emotion about that um, because I have seen it so often uh, with men as well as women that they there is a, a palatable fear of your spouse and this is the person that you've chosen to spend your life with and mm -hmm. it, and the relationship devolves to that unhealthy state um, and that's what I what I'm here to help whatever I can do to help that heal across the whole world. So now I've given you guys a lot of stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're starting off awesome. <laughs> okay. So you, let's do the Q&A and um, let me see if I can. Uh... Keep wowing us because, yeah, you're already... <laughs> You're already doing a fantastic job. Um, and yeah, no, that that was a lot. But honestly, like, I'm so appreciative because this, I mean, again, you know, Colin and I, we both work in the space and our main focus is healthy relationships. Um, and we deal with a lot of the things like you even just mentioned, right? Like a lot of the fear that comes out of domestic violence situations or unhealthy relationship situations. Um, but just to have this different perspective of it all, I think is so so important not only for us but especially the listeners out there that might be tuning in because they want to get a better sense of what a healthy relationship is and and they're trying to navigate these same spaces that we all are and so yeah i love the way we started off we're definitely gonna i think be kind of coming back and touching on a few things you've discussed already but i'm excited to unpack it even further um so to jump into the q a and this is something we actually do with every single guest we like to ask 
a fun question. You're not going to ask me to be vulnerable. <laughs> you? Maybe. It's a fun one. It's <laughs> a fun one. <laughs> Depends on how you want to answer it. But we always like to start off with just some fun questions. Um, and because, I mean, we're really focused and really excited just to kind of get in the meat potatoes of our conversation. We're going to keep it at one fun question. But we actually ask this to every single guest. And no, uh, even though I did provide you with questions before the interview. I did not provide you with this because we like to keep our guests on their toes. Oh, very fun. But if you could have lunch with anyone throughout time, fictional, non-fictional, past, present, who would it be and why? Um, you know, I'm, I'm weird. <laughs> like most people. So are we. <laughs> yeah. Who among us? Who among us is not? Yeah. <laughs> Most most people probably would pick some notable character, you know, like an iconic kind of um, person. And I have a long list of those people. But um, where your question strikes me is what I do constantly. I look for that person who is either on uh, in the like healed from some terrible thing and it's amazing the wisdom that people have mm-hmm. when because of something that they've you know they've worked through in their life the gift of adversity is what i usually prefer yeah, to that yeah and noble pope my my mentor says life asks us who we are if we mumble life gets confused Mm. And the and the counterpart of that, he says, life asks us who we who we are. If we answer clearly, life is elevating. What's that? Love that. <laughs> yeah, I heard your brain blow. <laughs> <laughs> I let I let it sit there for a second. I was really like, yeah, wow. I I really love and appreciate that so much. So to answer your question. Um, where my heart goes when you you ask that is I want to sit with somebody that's e- on one side or the other of that equation that is mumbling because they don't know really who they are, in which case I get to feed them. Mm-hmm. And the other side of it, if I sit with somebody who really knows who they are and who has whose life has been elevated because of the adversity and what they they learned to to be true within themselves i get to to feed i get to be fed right so um i don't know i'm weird right like you probably most everybody probably says they want tupac or, <laughs> or... <laughs> now nelson mandela probably podcast. would <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> not weird at all by the way, I think that was an, an awesome answer. Um, but yeah, no, and thank you. Uh, I don't know, again, if that was vulnerable, because you said, I hope it's not vulnerable. Uh, no, no, I didn't say that. I just I just played with it. I don't have a problem being vulnerable. And um, this is, this is uh, something, a, a truth for practitioners, for where you're at. Um, 
when you really like in every relationship there's always a question uh, and this is social like there's always the question about power and we can yeah. look at the animal kingdom you know like when dogs first meet they have to see who's who's more above or below or whatever humans do the same thing and there's always this question of power right and the most powerful people are 100% vulnerable yes I think that's honestly, I think the biggest strength someone can have. And, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown um, and her work. I mean, it's so much about the courage and vulnerability and it's absolutely the, the case. You know, some people I think see it as, as this weakness or it's, it's really strength. Yeah. To, to present to somebody no defense. Right. Gives them permission to put down their ar argument, their armament, to put their defenses down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I go ahead with your question. <laughs> I'll be vulnerable. <laughs> I, I actually enjoy. I enjoy that. All right, great. Um, all right, I will take the next question. Um, moving on to our actual interview questions, as much as that was very informative. Um, Rio, can you explain to our listeners what exactly a relationship scientist is, in your own words? Or expand upon that for us, if you could. Um, I, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be very formal with it because um, relationships are the subject matter in the formal sciences of uh, psychology, sociology, and anthropology. And in order to use any of those sciences to be proficient in any of those three sciences, you need four to six years, 12 years of study. And so they're not valuable, they're not practical for the average person. And my objective when I started to learn, and I, the, there was a transition, I mean 22 years, right? I started out, my life was in chaos and I was just trying to survive. And because of my unique talent for troubleshooting, I started to find axioms. And so um, over the course of time, I started to put them together into a formal context. There's six theses in, I hate that word. It sounds terrible. <laughs> There's theses. Thesis. <laughs> yeah. Um, in osiology, there is uh, the core thesis, which is um, illustrated uh, by the, the context of the four laws and these two bonding forces, the four laws that define that line, two bonding forces, and communication, uh, actual communication. Uh, and it, that becomes authenticity when what you say, what you do, and the energy that you carry all agree. Then it's authentic, and that's mm -hmm. where the hot, where the healthy line is for communication. And so the core thesis. There's a lot more to it, but it surrounds those uh, those primitives. Okay. Then there's a social thesis, there's a familial thesis, there's the business thesis, and the miscellaneous thesis. So this, this is a science, and it's a first-person science. I don't use it on you. I can't. 
you it's a lens for you to look through in order to see yourself and an identity on a pathway through the world that you believe you live in and all of that is subconscious right our subconscious representation of the world that we live in and if it's completely valid, 100% valid, that this is actually the same, we believe, according to the way the world actually works, these axioms, if our identity is clean, we don't have some, like when we're a kid and a teacher or somebody said, um, you, you don't have talent for this, you're never going to amount to anything, and we mm. take that on as our badge, mm -hmm. right? When we get rid of all of those things and we see ourselves clearly, right, in our true self, and then it's the zigzag path, right, of, through life, <laughs> our, our decision-making that we say, I'm going this way, and then we find ourselves headed in the other direction. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that never happens to you guys, right? <laughs> no, I was just, just thinking how, you know, success is so linear in that way. Yes, yeah, life really does take you, you know, different places. And so so when you ask, what is a relationship scientist, um, my hope is that you'll all become relationship scientists. Love that. Studying yourself and using your relationships uh, that you're in as your raw material to study. But the other side of that, uh, which is, I think, what your real question was, you know, who is this guy Rio Timberlane, <laughs> a relationship scientist? Um, we, we define it as um, y when you use the science with in your own context, you're an oseologist, and when I build the science, or my co co-workers um, uh, build the science out, then we are oseologers. And that's what I'm doing. I'm right now out of the United States. Um, I'm studying other cultures, other beliefs, and and making sure that we have the axioms to address all of the beliefs that are out there, false falsehoods. And uh, so that's, that's, I don't know if that answers your question. A long answer. No, I, I love it. I, I was just going to say, I think, I love the way that your previous experience um, has really colored your approach to relationships. And I think it's, you know, there is something uh, that I find fascinating about, you know, this kind of mechanical take on, you know, what is, what is, what are these hard and fast rules of relationships? And I think so many of us right. are so interested to know, is this healthy? You know, in, in that, you know, it's such a helpful, introspective, almost instruction manual to really help people diagnose their own lives. And I think that's an important exercise for all of us. Yeah. Thank you. And a lot of empowerment in that too. You know, a lot of empowerment, I think, for someone to kind of fully recognize that I within myself can examine my past relationships and I can really have a feel and kind of trust myself enough to think and, and, you know, go back through and think, like, what did these experiences really feel like? Um, were those things I genuinely did want? Did they better me? Um, did they help me kind of on my path 
to being my best self. And so, yeah, I, I love that. I think there's a lot of empowerment to that and all of us being ozeologists. I encourage all the listeners out there <laughs> to start kind of doing this work and we're going to go, you know, even further with it, learn a little bit more. So hopefully all of our listeners will be diving in and doing that for themselves by the by the end of this episode. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, Let's in, hope, in order, right? yeah the, the starting place, the starting place is to get the, the book, The Joy of Lucid Love, and learn the, the four laws. And um, I'm working on, right now, I'm working on a, uh, a little, like, mini project to define the alternative to dating. In the book, mm. there's, there's uh, I make a very clear, clean argument that dating is, is defeat. Dating is unhealthy. And when I say dating, I'm talking about what happens in the real world, right? You like you go back to I don't know if you're married or what, but if you go back to every first date, the girl will tell the guy some way or other, these five things are important to me. And the guy is sitting over here saying, well, I, you know, that's easy. This thing I think I can do. That thing, I'm not even sure what it is. This other thing, you know, is, that's going to be a big challenge. And I don't know, is she really worth it? Is she mm. cute enough? Is, 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 you know, does she flirt with me enough? Will I get sex? And so he's weighing what's it going to cost me to pretend to be what she wants. Right. I, th I think there's elements of that in queer relationships as well. It's not strictly heterosexual, but I think, yeah, that mindset of coming into the dating space with a list of prerequisites is, you know, like you said previously, yeah. not leading with your authentic self, you know, not your energy isn't matching the, the actions and decisions you're making. So I think, mm -hmm. I think I know, you know, plenty of people who are still in the dating pool and I think, you know, that real that real connection forms when you are able to be vulnerable, where you are able to step into that powerful position of being, you know, a hundred percent vulnerable and, um, you know, not bringing those preconceived notions into it. But unfortunately the game of dating in the game of life that we play, it does often come with that, you know, people come with their, their prereqs. Um, mm -hmm. so it's funny you say that. And, and whether, you know, whether it's, uh, and I really like Colin that you expanded the the context to because my language was very heterosexual, um, and I tend I tend to present things that way simply because the language is a lot cleaner, mm -hmm. and we can get to the message. Um, but what you what you suggested is that there is this alternative which we refer to it as courting, and this draws on the third and fourth laws. Yeah, and so I want to share this really quick because it's, it's incredibly beautiful. Mm -hmm. Think about playing tennis. You have to have a partner. You can't play tennis by yourself. And that person on the other side of the net, they serve something to you. And when they serve that... You have to make instantly, almost like like fraction of a second, you have to make a decision. Is that a fair ball or a foul ball? Right. And you do that by figuring out whether it's going to land within the line of your court or outside. So 
if we put this in the context of a any kind of a relationship, but specifically we're trying to find somebody to spend the rest of our life with, right? Important decision. Mm-hmm. So when they serve something, if it is outside of that line that we consider our court, then we're going to let it die. That's what you do when you play tennis, right? You don't go chasing it down. You, you mm-hmm. just let it plop over there and you forget about that. And then, uh, so this is, this is law number three. I only have power in my court mm. to make that decision. Now, if we go back to the, the axiom, life asks us who we are, if we mumble, life gets confused, that when that other person serves something to me, it could be a flirtatious thing, it could be an insult, it could be jealousy, it could be a compliment um, that is just f- completely fictitious, right? It could be a thousand things. Yeah that whatever they serve is asking me who I am. If I'm not clear about where my line is between foul ball and fair ball, I'm mumbling and I'm giving them a confused answer. Mm-hmm. Right? So if it's a foul ball and I play it, I give life to it, and I send the message to them that I want that in my life. Right. But if I let it die, like let's say jealousy, they accuse me of something and it's completely fictitious. If I let that die, it's a foul ball. So now I have opportunity. This is for law, law number four. All of my power is in my contribution. What do I contribute? So now I get to serve. Mm-hmm. So let's say... Um, because I'm heterosexual, right? It's always going to be a woman. Um, Let's say that she accused me of cheating. There is no way I can prove that I didn't do something like that. You can't prove a negative. So attempting to do that is problematic. It's like the example of the the woman that I, the client that I mentioned earlier. She could never prove her innocence. So that's a rabbit hole that just becomes horribly painful. So if I get accused of that, I let that die. And then I have power to define what I want in my relationship. So I serve up not a defense, but I serve up appreciation for the other person. Mm. Now, if you just accused your significant other, whoever, (laughs) of cheating and they're not defensive at all and they serve up to you appreciation that you're concerned about the relationship that they they recognize that this relationship is important enough for you to be concerned that i might be doing something wrong what what message does that give to you appreciation right back yeah that the perspective of this person, you know, they're not defensive, they're not going to attack me about it. But they're going to sit and say, you know, like, oh, wow, like, this, this relationship is that important to me, too, that, you know, anything to jeopardize it would also get me upset. First off, I think they're gonna be thrown 
completely off their game, maybe expecting that serve back, right? Or, or jumping into what you said, like that rabbit hole of no, I didn't, and you can't prove it. And then that back and forth, back and forth that no one wants. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like absolutely, it, it just seems very respectful and such like a genius way, I think, to reframe it and, and you know, look at it through that lens, right? It's very non-confrontational. It's very, it's not me versus you. It's us versus the problem, which I think a lot of times in relationships, people kind of get that twisted, right? And it becomes me versus you. Totally. I was just thinking, I saw something on Instagram the other day that was like, remember, you are not in direct competition with your partner. And I think that's when an example of, you know, when you can, you, you find yourself in that unhealthy spectrum, you know, you find yourself, you're like, how did we get here? But I think that leading with that reassurance, you know, when, when you, when you see that negative serve coming and being able to lead with the vulnerability and the reassurance, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. see maybe someone's subconscious, you know, what's causing that negative thing coming your way um okay so yeah now what i just did what i just did for you both of you and the audience i just solved for you i'm taking all the credit (laughs) (laughs) it's yours take it no no it isn't it isn't it's the it's the truth four laws that define the line between healthy and unhealthy And when I'm on the healthy side, I have power. So what we just accomplished was that because of the four laws, you now have a solution to jealousy. Mm. In, uh, let's say, specifically jealousy that's not founded, an unfounded jealousy. You, You have the power to weed it out of the dynamic because that person who feels jealous it's usually because of two factors the first one is that uh, we can't be jealous about something we do not attach ownership to Mm. Uh, now you wrinkled you wrinkled your like furrowed your brow there for a second Mm Relationship scientists, I see that stuff. <laughs> yeah, sure. we're all, we're all yeah. becoming <laughs> learned scientists. Yeah, so, so um, when we get into a spousal kind of relationship, it is often very cultural that that person becomes a kind of property. Right. And then if something threatens our ownership of it, the emotional response we call we call that emotional response we call it jealous so if i don't want to ever feel jealous all i have to do is make sure i don't own anybody well that's right? one approach <laughs> <laughs> colin's not convinced no i i mean i think i spent many years single you know and and now i find myself in in the throes of a five-year relationship uh with my partner anthony so um you know yeah i i definitely hear you on you know even open relationships i've dabbled in the past you know and and that very interesting kind of you know what monogamy means now um and and what are the rules you know and i i love that i think these are questions that people have you know so many young people seeking therapy um and i love that this is almost like a self-help approach to be able to tactically diagnose it you know in in on your own yeah. um as if you can trust yourself um 
Yeah, let's let's put a let's put a like an anchor in there. It isn't almost like it is absolutely like self help. Mm-hmm. There is nobody that can help you better than you can help yourself. Especially with this introspective, you know, with these issues that only we know. You know, that's mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> Ozeology is a tool to help you do the introspection, and if you think about therapy, um, the the therapist only the only view that they have of what's going on inside of you is what you can articulate right. or what can be observed in your be- behavior and if you don't have a good tool for introspection then they can't do anything more than your confused state about what's going on right, right? yeah they're not in the relationship they don't know what it looks and feels like and you're really you are the best and only source i think of getting to that truth so let's go back to what we were just talking about. And, uh, you know, I said the alternative. I'm working on a description of the alternative to dating. Mm-hmm. The healthy alternative, we call it courting. And it's because of the, these, the four laws. The, the third and fourth law describes the power that we have to shape the dynamic. I only have power in my court by that decision is this a fair ball something i want in my life or a foul ball something i would rather not have in my life Mm -hmm. and if we're clear about that and we can make the decision that quick when that thing gets served if we're solid about it then we let all of the all of the stuff that's that we don't want we let that die and it could be something that somebody else really wants but not what we want so that gives a clear representation to the other person of who we are. Yeah. Such a beautiful way, I think, to describe boundaries. Because it's really like that's at the core, I think, what that's that's really speaking to is our boundaries. Like what we'll put up with, what we do not, you know, agree with or tolerate in our relationships and whether or not we're willing to uphold our boundaries, which I think could be really awkward and really tough for a lot of people to stand in those values and, and just be able to say like, I'm not serving that back. I am not giving that energy or, you know, that's something I want to keep inviting and I will keep returning that right to you. So yeah, I love that. I love that. And so let me, let me clean up the language just to make sure on the, the term boundaries. Most of the time we think of putting a barrier on the other person Mm -hmm. and in Oseology, the four laws Law number three says the only place I have power is in my court. I can't go across the net and define their court for them. Mm -hmm. And often when we talk about boundaries, we're really talking about telling the other person what they can and can't do. Mm -hmm. So... you know, if we went, uh, if we really go into this subject, it's about knowing ourselves, and that naturally draws the boundary of our court. Right. And the boundary is not about people. The boundary is about the dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At that point, whatever is served to me, um, you know, I have lots of gay friends, and they're. 
there is so much confusion, <laughs> so much confusion that, I mean, it's it's hard enough for heterosexual, right, where the, like, the gender uh, lines are more clear and representative. And for the gay community, uh, it's so blurred. And... I, I mean, yeah, I think there are societal things that absolutely contribute to that gendered, you know, so much of my first two weeks at LVF, you know, really taking in all of the sociological, societal pressures, you know, that contribute to toxic masculinity, that contribute to, you know, so many of these gendered, you know, complexes that we kind of inherit from the systems we operate in, and then then color our relationships, um, when in fact, you know, I think... I learn more and more every day that every relationship is is you know unique and and different and subjective. But there are some absolutely some common things, as you were saying before, that there are some axioms that are true to to what defines a relationship between two people. And and you know uh, more on that. Um, but yes, I love that analogy. So so law number three leads us to focus on what really matters to us and what's the truth in us about who we are. And um, then law number four challenges us to contribute healthiness. Mm -hmm. And that might be, in some cases, it might be a question. So um, uh, let's say a brand new relationship, <laughs> uh, first date, and um, after the date, it seems like the person shifts, like you lead up to the date and everything is great and you have a great time and you make, you know, like say, well, we're going to have to get together again this coming weekend or whatever, right? There's a, a general commitment. But then for the following week, it's like the person is only vaguely there. Right. Right? They were totally, you know, there before the, the date, had a great time. They wanted, you know, they committed to let's do something again. And you enjoyed it. You want to be there. But they're like vaguely there. So maybe you ask a question. Right? Now, what you're doing, asking that question, you're asking the other person, did you, did you leave the court? I mean, are, you, are we in this game together? Are we playing this back and forth thing? Mm -hmm. Or did you just, maybe, and it could be a thousand different things. Maybe they lost their phone. Maybe family crisis, a job thing, 10,000 possibilities. But what do we typically do? We're over here, oh, he didn't call me back, or she didn't text me, or I must be awful. What what did I do wrong? Yep. And, and we get into mm -hmm. our head about, and we invent a thousand yes. things. Mm -hmm. None of them true. I have been there yeah, I think <laughs> too many times. It's so true. It's, you know, it's we, we perceive the reality that we, you know, we think we're perceiving, um, but we, we create mm -hmm. these demons in our own mind almost. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the four laws, um, the first one is all relationships come to equilibrium unless impinged. And so this technical language, re reciprocity and equilibrium and impingement, right? These are big 
you know, like uh, non-common words. So equilibrium means like a teeter-totter, like when it's completely balanced, both persons on the teeter-totter, they're at a certain distance that makes it just perfectly balanced. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of fun just sitting there. We want it to go up and down, right? We want it to, to back and forth. And if it's impinged, it means it can't do that. Mm. And often we impinge it by putting a requirement on the relationship. Does that make sense? Oh, it doesn't absolutely. doesn't allow it to naturally mm -hmm. find its balance. Right. And so the the second law is the only alternative to impingement is reciprocity, which is letting it go. Mm -hmm. So this is not complicated stuff, and I can teach a 12-year-old, which is like the age when, you know, uh, we all start, by 12, we're all really interested in those mm -hmm. other people, whoever those other right. people might be. And so we, uh, on the playground, I can teach all four laws. I think that's great. I mean, I think that's, it's so much, it was just Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, or we still have a few more days, it's still February. So, you know, and I think mm -hmm. what Lisa used to do in the schools, like more and more, I'm becoming aware of, you know, how, how young we start developing our sense of relationships, you know, and I certainly didn't have any sort of formal outreach training about that, you know, in my childhood. Mm -hmm. So I think it is, you know, Hopefully, we leave the you know this coming generation with more more guidelines, more of an instruction manual for how to go about that. Yeah, yeah, and and if we if we can just teach those four laws, and then the, what the attractive force is and the repellent force. So how simple it is. The attractive force is um, strengthened. This is what pulls us together. And it's universal, every relationship, it doesn't matter what the context, spousal or business or whatever, um, when we face the risks together, right. the depth and frequency of facing risks together. So when it comes to dating stuff, you know, somebody flirts with somebody, that's risky, especially for the initiator. They take a risk on being rejected. Mm -hmm. But the person who's being flirted with has to make a decision really quickly. Is this going to be a serial killer <laughs> or is it going to be m my lover, right? And, and we're trying to make that decision in a microsecond, right? Mm -hmm. But there's risk on both sides, so if we participate in it, we face the risks together, and that starts to strengthen this thing. And then, you know, putting that to the extreme, if it's a very, I'm using your, your um, the A word, abuse, which I never use, but it's your, your context, your mm -hmm. vernacular here. If it's a really unhealthy, abusive kind of relationship, often what ends up happening, we're still facing those risks with each other, strengthening the relationship, which means that the, the pull to be together is stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's often why somebody can't leave. Sure. Yeah. And all of that going on, that dynamic and, you know, victims and survivors also just trying to maybe just exist in that space day to day, um, which, you know, they're not yeah. doing anything to bring that abuse upon themselves. But of course, just trying to exist day by day, maybe staying there because of the fear, like we talked about earlier of if I do leave, um, you know, there's, there's 
fear for my life, there's fear for my safety, but just being in it enough, right, that that cycle is just going to continue, that abuse will continue. And that is that's, you know, and a lot of trauma bonds are created that way, right? It's strengthening through, you know, I know how to be here and survive. And I'm going to do that and focus on that and just get through this day to day. And that connective piece is, like you said, yeah, it's going to become a lot stronger, right? It maybe keeps someone there even longer, because, that's the best way they know to keep themselves safe at that time is just staying in it and dealing with that. I was going to say, I think that survival mode lens or really veil that comes over someone, you know, when you're in it as someone who's been in it, um, you know, I think you, you, you don't realize that you're in survival mode, you know, it just, it takes over and you don't even, you know, you don't realize anything has changed. And it's, that's why it becomes that much harder to even, get introspective to become vulnerable to break out of your shell because it's what you're holding on to you know for for every day yeah Um, and so much fear in that too but if if you understood how that attractive force is strengthened then for the things that you don't want in your life whatever that might be like in a particular Uh, dynamic, there's this toxic thing, I don't want to attract that, I don't want to strengthen the dynamic in context of that. Mm -hmm. So then we go back to the to the third law, it what it whenever it presents, I let it die. And then I go to the fourth law, and I replace it in the dynamic with something that I do want. And so we stop facing that risk together. So let's say you're married and committed and there's somebody at work who's always flirting with you. If you face the risk with them, you're going to strengthen that flirtatious dynamic. Mm -hmm. So if you don't, you don't have to be rude or anything. You just don't give it any life. You let it fall on the ground as if it didn't happen and you serve up something that would be uh, like the the antithesis, the opposite of that flirtation, and now there's no risk for you to face with them to strengthen that pull. Yeah, it's not giving it power, not kind of buying yeah. into it in that yeah, way. That's, yeah, that's simple language, not giving the thing power, mm-hmm. right? So <clears throat> the uh, noble pope says, weed before you seed, seed before you feed, and we're talking about the dynamics. So you weed out the toxic, unhealthy things by disrespecting them, which is what causes the repellent force. So the flirtation, you disrespect the flirtation by not giving any weight to it, and it pushes it away. So we weed that out, and then we, now we seed with the thing that we do want. We want maybe it's a professional like work, professional. So we replace it with a comment about the report that I'm supposed to have ready. Will um, uh, I need to get back mm-hmm. to that? <laughs> I don't have time to flirt with you mm-hmm. because I need to get back to my job. So now we're seeding the dynamic with something that is healthy and appropriate to the context of the relationships and environment. Then we feed it. And what we feed is that thing that we seeded by 
again following up with that that what we served let's say we serve up the thing that um the report that i'm supposed to be uh have done by the end of the week i need to get back to that and they don't reciprocate they don't you know like they they try to do some flirtatious thing so we feed it again mm -hmm. right that uh and Typically, now this is just social dynamics. It's 100% just the way people function, right? They want validation. And um, again, we're moving like in the hand thing. We're moving to operating in these truths. And they don't get the payoff. So typically, they'll only try about three times. Right. And then they go away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that message will by then hopefully been yeah received right that you're standing firm and just kind of just putting out this is what i want out of this relationship this is what i accept from this relationship and that's as far as it'll go so what i've introduced to you are simple axioms that can be taught to a child and they work universally regardless of the relationship or the context. And if we can, you know, start getting that in the foundation of social interaction, a lot of the pain and suffering that we have today will heal itself in a generation. Oof, that's beautiful. And I just want the listeners out there to know as well, we're going to link your book down in the description or where you can find a copy of The Joy of Lucid Love. That way, listeners out there, if you're interested, which I can't imagine you're not interested at this point, but if you want to learn even deeper, um, read the book, kind of put all these connecting pieces together for yourself, don't worry, we'll have access for you to um, locate that book down below and look even further into this. And I actually want to ask you... An interesting question, this is something that kind of came out of the research I did on you looking into what you do and what you speak about. And this is something I feel like we've all maybe been at odds with at some point in our lives or have faced or just this weird situation we've all been in as human beings. But my question is to you, why do people misunderstand when you say you love them? Oh, oh, this is the most important question. Like the, the, because <laughs> we've all been there. Yeah. Um, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the science, again, contrast to uh, psychology that uses a bell curve to put people in to try and establish the science, mm -hmm. right, of psychology. And this is from these norms of the bell curve, we get everything that's in the DSM. And the DSM is the Bible that the therapist or psychiatrist uses to diagnose and determine treatment or coping or whatever, mm -hmm. right? In contrast to that, osiology only has one subject. It doesn't have 100 people. It only has one. So how do we measure mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so go back, go back to, I don't know, like fourth grade when you learn um, uh, what a number line is. Picture a zero 
and then that line that goes out in one direction and maybe it goes out to tan and then it goes out in the other direction to tan and in math we put a positive and negative there right at the out in those directions mm -hmm. um, so we can call this a continuum it can can continue we put an arrow on it it could go to infinity in both directions so in oseology we use a it, it's a continuum like that but we call it a simplexity because we're going to take this complex thing the idea the concept of love and lisa this is going to blow your mind because you've been it. struggling with this <laughs> <laughs> you've been struggling with this for your whole life mm -hmm. and um so this concept of love we put on this simplexity and uh, so at one end, and I usually use my left hand to describe this end, um, is the transactional kind of love that um, our message, and this is often from parents to children first, this is where we first experience it, um, I will do what you want me to to get you to do what I need from you. Mm -hmm. It's transactional. Right. And that's business. And in business, this is the kind of love you need to have. A clear transaction that says, I'm committed to this. I will do this for you in order to get this. Okay? Makes sense. Mm -hmm. What's, what is, we call it the antinomial or the antithesis of that? What would be the opposite end of the simplexity on this continuum. Now I'm, I'm challenging both of you. I mean, you're great people with lots of experience, right? What's going to be at the other end? I would say unconditional, not expecting the return. It's, you know, out of that space of, I care about this and I could be wrong, um, but I care about this person enough. I'm not expecting the return on this. It's not that kind of transaction. Like you stated, it's more of just, this is what makes my heart feel good is to do these things for you in this relationship. And Colin, as soon as you said that, he nodded really f affirmative. Yes. Right? I, so both I was going to say page, like selfless right? love and the word unconditional, like just jumped out of my mouth um, right into yours. And so I was like, I was like, I <laughs> totally agree. Um, that's the word I was looking for. But yeah, I think, you know, that, and, and both are, like you said, I think there's, they, we encounter these types of love in different places in our lives, you know, in, in, in the systems that we operate yeah. in and, and knowing how to recognize them and the terms of engagement and what the norms are in those right. situations, you know. So, so at the opposite end, we have no condition. And I'm cleaning up the language there because unconditional is the way the love that God has for us is described in the Bible. You guys have heard of the Bible, right? I might and, have. And <laughs> to a Jesuit school. <laughs> I think I've heard of it. <laughs> okay, so, so we can't use unconditional because that's the kind of love that God has, and I can't be as good as God, so I can't have, I can't express unconditional love. Do you see the, the subconscious paradox there? Sure. So we use, the, we use the language without condition. So on this end over here, we call it L-U-V, which 
looks like love, sounds like love, but is not really what most of us are reaching for, the transactional stuff, L-U-V. On the other end, we put an R in front of it for real love, and this, this is that interaction without any condition. But does that mean that everybody gets a free pass to abuse and use and throw us away? No. Right. What it means is that we accept, accept, not make an exception for, but we accept, receive the truth of what is, who they are, what is the circumstance, the, the, we, we let it be. We receive the truth of it. That's what acceptance means. Mm -hmm. And then the second phase of without condition is to invite something healthier. So guess what? We're back to law number three and law number four again. We accept that they serve this ugly thing to us. We let it fall on the ground. And we, law number four, we contribute something that invites a healthier relationship. Right. And if we go through that, if we really think about it, it becomes this very smooth cycle and um, it's illustrated in the book uh, as a pendulum that always seeks to be in the center, which is where the healthiness is, and that's where the invitation is. But you can, you can push that pendulum any direction, and it always seeks to come back to the healthiest place. That is real love. Mm. Great answer. Yeah, I'm just, my head's been nodding up and down like this entire episode, just taking all this <laughs> I'm like a bobblehead. I'm like, She's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> going to be in a neck brace Honestly, tomorrow. God, yeah. <laughs> Take some ibuprofen before I go to bed tonight <laughs> and next week for, um, no, but I just, yeah, I just think that's just a beautiful way, I think, of looking at that. And again, like we've all, I think, been in that space where, you know, either we care about someone and we're terrified to tell them or vice versa. Um, and I think just looking at that in that way, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, and especially applying those rules to it, right? Because those those rules are something that we, I haven't learned until today. Um, and thinking about it in that context, I think just, yeah, it adds like a whole other element, I think, to really understanding us and how we respond and how we accept, right? Like love and all these things we've talked about, flirtatiousness from other people. It just really just brings it to a whole other perspective. To continue, just to finish up the picture, we've got a pendulum on the real love side. What do we have on the LUV side? We have a balance where we put good things and we put bad things. And unfortunately, we tend to hang on to the bad things. You know, five years ago, you lied to me or you, right. you know, you didn't show up when you said you would. And so... Today, you put a bad thing there, and then suddenly I pile on top of it all those things from five years ago. And so that tends to shift suddenly. And so we, it, it's, it, if you graph it out, it ends up being really jagged and sharp edges. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited, and you're wonderful, and I'll do everything for you. I'll build this relationship. And then five minutes later, I'm ready to throw you away and run over you with a bus, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's, that up and down jagged stuff doesn't mm -hmm. feel so good, mm -hmm. right? The, the waviness of the pendulum 
that feels really good to us, right? In fact, we go and get on the swing on the playground so we can have that back and forth kind of sweet, smooth, cyclical feeling, right? We enjoy that. And um, so in real life, your question was, um, and I'm going to paraphrase, why is it so damned hard to say I love you to somebody? Mm -hmm. And it's because I don't know how they're going to interpret it. If If I say I love you, they're going to, it could be anywhere on that spectrum. And it, it could, the underlying devotion that they interpret, it could be that I'm devoted to sex with them or that I'm um, devoted to uh, climbing Mount Everest, right? <laughs> it's completely in their, their power of interpretation of what that word means. Right. And the hardest part of it is when, um, and this goes to your audience, speaks to your audience, somebody who has grown up in a, uh, a circumstance where they were, uh, let's say, corporal punishment. They were physically assaulted by somebody who says, I'm doing this because I love you. Mm-hmm. I've seen that come up in a lot of recent, like one of this major influencer I follow, Celise Rose, um, was opening up about her domestic violence situation with her family and specifically growing up in, in, in her experience, a uh, um, Latin American household and um, her parents, you know, continually reinforcing in her childhood that I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this because I love you and creating that pattern right. of, um, I will say abuse and, and, you know, and then having that be instilled in, like you were saying before, you know, that then you're shaped that way. Then, then you bring that right. into your future relationships and your experiences. Um, so that just really hit home with something I saw recently. And so when we say, I love you, how the other person interprets it is completely on them. So um, I often will preface it by saying, especially with somebody new in my circle, because I tell people I love them all the time. I just, I, I, that's, um, I, Same. <laughs> I, I, could say, I could say to both of you that I love you and be completely authentic within myself. Is there any basis for that? Well, we have connected on, uh, you know, like uh, this enormous context of life and healing and our passions and mm-hmm. and my devotion to the world I love the world right and you I'm sure both of you have similar passions that drive you in a love for all these people that you've never met absolutely right but then if you're the person that lives on the street who feels like everybody is, you know, like it's a life and death circumstance that they live in, they're desperate to survive every day, and this person comes up and says that I, I love you, how are they going to interpret it? Right. Some kind of manipulation. Yeah. So understanding that most of the world lives in this transactional kind of love. And when we go around with our real love without condition, we don't, they don't know how to process that. 
Does that make sense? Oh, totally. So to answer your question, we need to accept that they're over here on the other end of the, the continuum and we need to operate transactionally with them. Meeting them where they're at, so to speak. Exactly. We got to go over there, take them by the hand and lead them into this new kind of thing. And I got a text today from somebody in my personal life who um, her final text to me was, I can't, I don't know how to, to describe the emotion of it, but I, I just, I don't know how you can be so understanding, mm. she said to me because she's been living over here in that transactional stuff where she has to buy affection, she has to buy appreciation, she has to buy everything, and she finds that I give it to her freely. Right. And I have to be careful in how I give that to her so that she doesn't get out of balance over here, right, with her self-worth. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah. If she doesn't value, if she doesn't value herself, and I give her, you know, like attention or whatever, if I'm understanding, freely understanding, and she can't see the transaction that I'm operating on, that's a lot of uncertainty. Sure. And it questions, you know, what what is it that I want from her, right? What's what worth does she have that I would give so much? Right. So when you ask that question, you, you know, you kind of opened a... Open the floodgates. <laughs> yeah. The floodgates of truth are just, they're wide open. <laughs> We're here for it. Uh, okay. So um, the, I want to I wanna put a footnote here to, and in big, bold, black print, I mean, like 16-point lettering here, that all of this subconscious programming can be cleaned up, right? The, like you mentioned, um, the, the client or whoever you were talking about, Colin, that, about the abuse when they were young, right? And this is a lot of what I deal with with a, a client when I, I'm functioning as an anamiatrist to help them learn how to ask those questions and do the introspection. What we're looking for is the life lesson that their subconscious derived from their life experience and that life lesson is a falsehood and so it's causing them trouble in their life today. So we don't have to go back to any previous trauma or anything. All we're doing is cleaning up the the programming, the abstraction of something that is now setting their course in their present life. Does that make sense? Totally. So, I don't know. Have we come full circle yet? Because, like, I can go on for another oh, well, six I, hours. I, something you just said, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to jump to our next question. Piggybacking off of that um, is, you know, talking about all everything we've talked about so far, um, in the, you know, simplexity of it all, as, as you coined, um, what do you think, for the listeners out there, is the most important component of a healthy relationship? If you could boil it down to you know, one defining quality or, you know, uh, axiom, if you will. Okay. So um, this is a question that I often ask <laughs> other people 
and um, it, it is because everybody knows what the most important thing is. And you're you're sitting there waiting. I can I can <laughs> hear the anticipation. <laughs> um, everybody that I ask this question of, they give one of two answers, and it, it, those two answers lead to the universal answer, which is connection. The two answers that I get is either trust or respect. And that allows us to connect, and everybody needs to connect. And in a spousal context, we're looking for companionship. Mm -hmm. So what's most important, Colin, <laughs> is that we, we give freely, we give respect freely, like lavish it on the relationship. And um, then trust is about consistency. You know, I can trust my brother-in-law is going to bring my truck back. Every time he borrows it, it's going to be empty. I can trust that I'm going to have to fill it up, right? I can trust that this person is going to operate in a certain way because they're consistent. Right. When they're not consistent, that mm, I can't trust that. Does that make sense? Yes, very much so. Absolutely. So now if we go back to law number three, <laughs> when, when we're mumbling about our identity, the other person's asking us who we are, and we mumble, can we trust them? Or can they trust us? If we're mm -hmm. the one mumbling, can, can they trust us? Because we're not consistent. We're, some days we're this way, some days we're that way. And right. so that... I was going to say, it sounds like you don't even trust yourself enough to be able to speak, I mean, about who you are, right? Or, or give off those cues. So it's like if someone's making it kind of clear that I don't even trust myself to, to know who I am or know what my values are and anything else down the line, then yeah, that, that trust could be a little bit complicated, I think, coming from the other, the other side of the coin, right? And witnessing that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so... Um, again, and I'm, I'm drawing us back to these, this line between healthy and unhealthy. And when we find ourselves on the unhealthy side, it's because there's some subconscious programming that we can clean up that puts us back on the healthy side. So then we can give respect and we can give trust and then make actual connection. And that leads to a companionship that will weather all the storms of life. Excellent so much hope in that yeah i'm like hey that's that's so nice to hear yeah, you know? <laughs> definitely yeah I, I think you know and we also we change so much you know in in relationships over time i think that segues well into my next question is um you know how do we show up as consistent you know in our relationships when in fact you know life does get in the way and, and we do change over time especially in long-term relationships and how you navigate that you know, when you can't be the same consistent person. So I guess my follow-up question to you, Rio, is can you explain how, as you say, everyone is changing all the time to stay the same? And I think that is, you know, kind of what I was getting at just there. And how do we stay as consistent as we possibly can um, for our partners, um, despite, you know, the changes that life throws our way? Colin? Is it okay if I ask you to be a little vulnerable here? Please. All right. Your question, I can see it all over 
all over your body language and expression. This question is about your relationship right now. Mm -hmm. And so let me speak to that in a very, let's say, very, very relevant, profound way. Um, everybody is always changing. And in a spousal relationship, there's a natural tendency to bring your history home to that other person. And um, putting truth on the pages of that history helps the other person know how you're affected by your life experience. You go off to work and like today, you're, we're reshaping your belief structure. I'm, I'm doing my very best to give you like a whole new par paradigm about the world you live mm -hmm. in, right? And how relationships function. When you go home, he's going to feel something different about you. And if you don't give him a story to explain that, all he's going to have is questions. <laughs> right? So this is, uh, let me put it in for the broad audience. Let me put it in a very solid, tangible mm -hmm. context, right? No matter who we are in a, a committed relationship, at some point there's going to be an option for us to entertain somebody else in the place of the one we're committed to. Somebody flirts with us, there's a door open, there's an opportunity, there's always going to be that thing happening mm -hmm. at some point. A healthy relationship um, in order for it to be healthy, when somebody else presents that option, you need to be able to come home to your partner and share that this experience happened and I choose mm -hmm. to be here with you. That's, that's the big thing that has to be put truth on the pages of our history. Yeah. And if... If the other person, your mm -hmm. partner, whoever that is, if they can receive that truth, and if your message is actually that, not, not that I've got options, I'm uh -huh. going to upgrade, but that I chose to come home to you, if that's your message, then it strengthens the relationship and it keeps you on course. And as uh, you know, as you're going through life and both evolving, five, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, fifty years later, you're still connected. You're you're still that companion to each other because you mm -hmm. know the history. Does that totally. make sense? Yeah, I think I, that's great. I feel like I, I passed the test because I, I do do that. <laughs> I try to <laughs> try to communicate that when I do come home um, from nights out. Um, but yeah, I think that was super insightful. And I guess as a follow-up, you know, what, what if you notice that, you know, or you feel that your partner is not changing in the same way? You know, how would, this is totally just riffing off the question, mm -hmm. but how, you know, what's, what is your recommendation on how to how to approach that, you know, if you feel that you're changing and they're not, you know? Okay, so um, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna uh, call foul, because you're asking ah. for advice. <laughs> we were getting vulnerable. What happened? <laughs> no, uh, uh, no, there's, there's a difference. There's a difference between getting vulnerable and asking me to make decisions in your life. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and so uh, um, this is 
staying in, sure. in my court. This is me abiding law number three, not telling somebody else how to live their life. I can tell you about mm -hmm. the mechanics of it, and I love doing that because then you're empowered to make mm -hmm. your own decisions. Okay? And um, what you're really speaking to here is about compatibility. Often we connect with somebody and life is random and full of things and we discover things as we mature. We discover parts of ourselves that we never knew existed. And so there's, there is no guarantee that when we connect with somebody and we make a companionship, Act, uh, an agreement to be companion for each other, no guarantee that we will be able to follow through with that with forever, right? Right. That's the, we often, if we're really committed 100%, we, we look forward to a life and often we don't even, we can't even imagine ourselves with somebody else. We, I can't imagine myself mm -hmm. without you. Yeah. Right? But life changes us. Our experiences change. We mature mm -hmm. at different rates, and, and compatibility is more often just about maturation, about we evolve and mature in a way that now this person doesn't relate to us or we don't relate to them in the same depth mm -hmm. as before. And if that's the case... Typically, they're bumping, let's say, if you're maturing and he's not, then uh, he's going to um, be trapped in what we call the universal paradox. Mm. And what is that? Uh-oh. I eyebrows just popped up. Uh -huh. Curiosity. Like, yeah, please go on. Invest it. My relationship. Okay. Well, line. we're. Uh, I'm going to be transactional. <laughs> I, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta pay me. Uh -huh. What's the payoff, right? All right. The universal paradox is if you if we think about this line between truth and falsehoods or light and darkness, we all exist on that mentally. And um, as we're going along in life, there's a, a certain point where we start getting close to a truth that scares us. Mm -hmm. mm. And before we're cognitively really aware of it, we subconsciously are aware of it, sometimes um, animatically, which is like spirit awareness mm -hmm. of it. And so we start to feel the weight of the responsibility of that truth, meaning that if I step into that truth, I'm going to have to live up to that truth. I just turned 30, so this is ringing very true. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, it, later, if you want to have a session to explore what that statement means, then you know, yep, maybe we can arrange good. that. Um, <laughs> so, so bumping up against this truth, it's it, there's a fear in us, and so we reverse course. And in reversing course, we start to invent some fiction which is going toward the darkness or the falsehoods, we invent some fiction to describe our lives, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a horizontal continuum here to infinite new truth and the other direction, infinite darkness and falsehoods and lies and 
you know, that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, and I'm very careful not to say that truth is good and the other is bad or evil and right. We keep away from all religion because this mm-hmm. is a science. Mm-hmm. In your own life, if religion is your thing, then you can say you can put those those labels on there. But this is the the process that we're all in through life is discovering truth. And we move along, we bump into this truth, we run away from it, and we get to a certain depth of falsehood, and that becomes painful. And so we reverse course, and we go some distance again toward that truth, and pretty soon we're back and forth on there, and it's an infinity loop. If we put it on that on this infinity loop, when we draw it out, if we put a, a, a vertical axis and at the bottom is misery and at the top is joy, then it, it makes it this nice infinity loop like the figure eight that's on its side. And we get close to the truth and it becomes painful misery that pushes us down. And to escape that misery, we invent some story so we can go um, to, you know, up into the, the happier place. But then that moves us further into the darkness, which yeah, becomes very delusion. uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So maturation for people who like in a spousal ship where you're living together if you're sharing the history you're you know like the truth on the pages of your history if you're sharing your experience then there's a transfer of your the things that evolve you to the other person and if they're really ready willing to receive all of that then they will mature with you well it's happening the other way he's maturing and if he's sharing his story that influences and affects you and you can mature together so this is a healthy long-term spousalship needs that Mm -hmm. communication right and the hard part about it is like we talked about earlier if um, they have a sense of ownership of you and maybe what you're presented with in life is a career opportunity that might take you away from them or might give you uh, you know, more options or something and it threatens that ownership, then suddenly jealousy gets in the way and that becomes this universal paradox, the truth that they don't want to live in does it make sense yes yes definitely yeah and we call it the universal paradox because there isn't a a person on the planet that doesn't get trapped in Mm -hmm. that at some point i was just gonna say i feel like you just described my last relationship and getting stuck in that and one person evolving and one person not (laughs) and i was like man has he met my ex i'm confused yeah genuinely i'm doing the same thing you know racking my rolodex and analyzing my current situation um but i think yeah i love that it's it's so human you know that that's so applicable to to all of us um we all we all experience this yeah do you remember when i said that this is a body of knowledge of axioms Mm -hmm. not opinions not theories not good ideas but axioms and what you just reflected on is that i shared a truth that's universal that you've experienced you've lived through 
And everything that we've talked about <laughs> is like that. Um, and so when you have those, this is the science of human relatedness, the, the body of knowledge, right? When you have those axioms and you discover the subconscious falsehood, you, you can plug the axiom in the place of that falsehood. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Correct the coding. And so it, the transformation, yeah, the, the transformation becomes automatic and easy. So um, oh, you got another good question. I'd like to <laughs> That was my last question, actually. Um, I don't know if Lisa, do you have any more? You know, I think we have like one little end cap one, but I think right now, because I mean, honest to God, I've just, I've just downloaded so much information from you and it's just been, yeah, like really resonating. Um, it's been really eye opening. And I think right now is a really great time for us to segue into our little meditation piece that we do at the end of every episode, give the listeners a chance to kind of really just sit with that. Um, and, you know, just take some deep cleansing breaths. And so I invite all the listeners out there, my lovely guests, my lovely host, if they're willing to take on this meditation at this time, just get yourself into a comfortable position. Whatever that looks like for you, it could be sitting, it could be standing, it could be laying, whatever you have available. And I just encourage everybody to just start taking nice deep breaths. And I want you just to start taking what we call our meditative breath, which is nice deep breath in through our nose and out through our mouth. Continue with this meditative breath, taking deep breaths in through your nose and exhaling through your mouth. You can either close your eyes or find a spot in the room to focus on. And as we're kind of finding a rhythm with this meditative breathing, I want you just to start noticing. Noticing your breath. Noticing your body. How you're feeling right now. Noticing the contact point between you and the chair your feet in the floor. And we're not doing anything to change this. We're just simply noticing it. Now I want you to start sending your breath to any area of the body that may need it. If you're holding tension in your shoulders, your neck, your jaw, wherever you may have recognized tension, I just want you to send your breath there. And with every exhale, just let your muscles relax and let your body sink deeper into this relaxation. Spend a few moments here, simply breathing.
And while you're in this space, I want you to now think of a place where you feel secure and at ease. This could be a real place, an imaginary one, but paint a full picture of this place in your mind. Notice the different sounds, the different sights, the different smells. And I want you to just soak up the feeling of the calmness you have in this space. While you're enjoying this safe space, in your mind, bring attention to some things that you're proud of. Whether they're big or small things. Think about these proud moments. With your next inhale, I want you to repeat these affirmations in your mind. I am at peace with myself. I value myself as a person. I enjoy the present and look forward to the future. Just enjoy a last few breaths in that wonderful space you created in your mind. On your next inhale, I want you to take a deep breath in, really fill your lungs all the way, and a big exhale out. One last big breath in, expand those lungs like an accordion and hold for three. And a big exhale out, let it all go. And if you would like to, you can stay in this relaxed space, continue your breath work. If not, I invite you to come on back into the room, Make any little adjustments you need to to kind of get your body back online. Go back to your normal breathing. And I hope you enjoyed that little sense of calm. I hope that gave everyone also some kind of time and space to really reflect and focus on the power that they have, right, to kind of be their own relationship scientist, to take all of this knowledge and apply it to their lives and better their relationships. So thanks, everyone, for, for participating. And Rio, we actually do have that, that one last question for you. <laughs> I, I was going to make a joke, like make it an easy one, but I don't like easy ones. I, I want the hard one. I think... No, I was going to say it might be easy. I'm like, nah, maybe not. Um, <laughs> but our last question for you, um, do you have any thoughts or advice for both 
young people or adults out there? Well, I don't give advice, and um, this is is me living on the healthy side of that line. Um, what I can say is that uh, it's a journey for everybody, and in my case, I happened to have uh, this talent of troubleshooting, and I'm. Um, so when my life fell apart, I had a talent and I had experience and tools to troubleshoot what was going on. And um, so I was able to come out of it and, and the product of that over 22 years is this beautiful thing that I have to give to other people. And um, I don't think that I'm so special right everybody's got some talents everybody's got their i don't know like their if you want to call it gifts you know the specific uniqueness to who they are mm -hmm. and if you you ground yourself in that then whatever comes your way you'll grow from it and and be able to make the world a better place because of it for a man that does not give advice, I think that was beautiful advice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, truly, yeah, that was oh, just what a great way, I think, to end cap this conversation, which, again, for us, I know, has been so insightful. And I know for the listeners out there as well, I mean, the amount of introspection, the amount of just like really wonderful perspective changing, paradigm shifting things that you've talked about. This was just such an awesome conversation. And uh, we just want to thank you so much for taking time. Um, in the future, I could see us really enjoying having you back. And we can talk about that offline, but just put that out there now. I think, you know, this would be um, a great extended conversation, just adding on to what we spoke about today, because you are really such a wealth of knowledge. So, Thank you so much. Can I can I say something really quick there? Um, to your audience, if you have a mechanism for comments and feedback to you, um, for a follow-up, what I would really enjoy is to have the conversation with the audience. To, mm. I'm sure, like you had some good questions today, but I'm sure they're, you know, sitting, you know, like with this question in them. So if they give that feedback to you, you collect them. Let's do a Q and A, and and oh, absolutely, we'll, yeah, I'd love that. I think that would be perfect, whether we do something live or yeah. I can have people DM us through the Instagram. I think that would be very fun. Oh, um, yeah. and that would be, be very exciting, cool. Yeah, and would love to work with you and, and um, the American Library Association even more, Rio. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah. So I will make sure to include, um, I don't know if I do this often, which I probably should. Um, I'm going to make sure to include our Instagram down in the description below as well. That way our listeners have that direct line of being able to message us, put those questions in because yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm probably going to have so many more questions just from editing this, listening to it. I'm going to sit and think like, oh, that would have been so good to ask. Um, so really encourage the listeners, like reach out, let us know. We'd love to have Rio back um, and just kind of dive into anything we didn't get the chance to cover today. But also in the description, we're going to have a link to Rio's book. You can check that out. We're going to have, you know, some other resources in there as well. Highly encourage you to look through his book, 
look more into these these four rules and all these like wonderful amazing ways that we can kind of reframe our relationships and also i just wanted to share that we're going to have a lot other amazing guests coming on the podcast over the next few months so just make sure to keep an eye out for upcoming episodes that we're putting out there and just really want to thank the listeners for tuning in today and we hope you'll join us for our next conversation